Well, friends, we come to uh, God's Word here, an incredible section of Scripture. Uh, we looked last week at Ephesians chapter 1, the first 14 verses, rich verses that have already been interwoven into much of the service this morning. And we're going to keep looking at them and the second half of chapter 1. Uh, and I'm just I'm thrilled that this morning you've already heard, you mightn't have realized through our prayers, through comments, uh, through song, uh, much of these rich pieces of Scripture uh, in our service. Uh, and the reason I am thrilled with that is because uh, that's very much who we are as a church. Uh, if you're new to Stromlo Christian Church, we uphold uh, the Word of God, uh, its uh, wonderful revelation in, uh, through the Holy Spirit and revealing to us the Lord Jesus Christ and His saving work as, as extremely important. Now, this is the very nature of us as a church. Uh, the teaching and the preaching and the, uh, the revealing of God's Word, uh, we uh, hold this as an extreme priority. And so we're going to now spend some concentrated time uh, looking at these passages. If you have uh, those passages open in your outline, that would be helpful. If you've brought your Bible, that would be even more helpful as we'll uh, look at uh, chapter 1, uh, the first half as well as the second half as we come to it. Well, this morning, we are reminded uh, that prayer is very much a response to uh, the glorious work of God through Christ. We see in the first section that uh, there is praise uh, that Paul, well, he, he just can't control himself with the praise and the, 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 uh, the language that he has from verse 3, praise to the Lord be to God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's full of praise. And that as he understands and as he prays and as he reflects on what God has done, he then goes on to pray. It's praise and now prayer. And it's a wonderful model, as it's already been pointed out, for how we might pray. Uh, this week, my son Joel, he uh, had a friend come round and uh, he'd been looking forward to it all week. His friend and he were going to travel past McDonald's on their way uh, home from school. They were given some money. They were able to go and uh, purchase a burger on their way home. He couldn't wait. Um, but he shared with us earlier in the week that his friend uh, was afraid uh, when they were going to McDonald's. He was afraid because they had to pray. And I asked Joel about this. Oh, what do you mean? Uh, why does he think he needs to pray? Well, Joel said, well, we say grace before we eat food. And, you know, they were gonna, he was going to pray, obviously, before they ate their burgers at McDonald's. Um, and then I asked Joel, well, why is your friend afraid? And he said, well, uh, he doesn't know what to do. He's afraid that he, he doesn't know how to pray. And so I said to Joel, well, what did, what did you say? How did you explain how you pray, and Joel's explanation was very simple. He said to his friend, he said, well, it's simple, you just, uh, you close your hands, you close your eyes, and you say amen at the end. Three simple instructions. <laughs> Bow your head, you close your eyes, put your hands together and, and say amen. That's how he thinks prayer happens. I'm not sure about you, what sort of advice you would give to your friend who might be fearful for they don't know how to pray? What tips would you give? Well, Joel's advice was very much about uh, form, wasn't it? But the Apostle Paul comes to us and he gives us some actually some very helpful content in directing us how we should pray. Before we get into that, though, I'd like you just to do a bit of an exercise. I'd like you to think of, of someone in your, your mind, someone who's um, special to you, uh, important to you, someone relationally um, on your mind or on your heart at the moment. Think of one person and um, 
maybe if that person is a Christian, that, I think that would help in the, in the context of what we're going to look at. And I'd like you just to begin to formulate in your mind um, your prayer for them. So you, you're, if you're about to pray for them, now what are some of the things that you would begin to pray for this person uh, in your mind and on your heart at the moment? I'm not going to ask you to tell me what those things are. Just think about that for the moment, okay? As you begin to formulate your prayer. See, prayer is a challenging thing, isn't it? It's not necessarily an easy thing. I, I often feel like, Lord, I, I just don't know what to pray, how, how to pray. Uh, Lord, um, I, at the moment, I just feel like I'm ill-equipped to pray or um, I'm just uh, feeling as though there's, there's a spiritual dryness there. But friends, the Word of God gives us some wonderful tools as we look at this topic of prayer. And this morning, I really want us to focus on Paul's prayer here, particularly for uh, this early church. It might be the Ephesian church. Uh, we're not exactly sure whether it is the Ephesians that he's praying for, but he has some, uh, some profound things and some deep things that he prays for them. But before he does, he kicks off in verse 15 with these words, for this reason, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people. The commentators uh, state that uh, this statement for this reason doesn't simply point forward to what he's about to say, but it's actually integral and, and in, it's, it's linked to what he's just said before. It's uh, Paul, he's just so swept up in the wonders of what God has done in Christ. Uh, he's just, uh, he, he gives thanks for uh, what God has done and because of this, he now goes on to pray. For this reason, because God has chosen them, He's redeemed them, He's adopted them, He's forgiven them, He's lavished His grace upon them, all these wonderful things. He's predestined them, given them an inheritance. He's, uh, he's, what He's done, He's taken us to, I suppose, what uh, has often been described as uh, a view that is majestic to the top of a, a hilltop or a top of a canyon, or whatever it is, and he's looking out, and he sees this incredible view, not simply uh, of God's creation, or not God's creation, but God's grand plans, isn't it? And he surveys this grand view, and he says, for this reason I pray for you, God's work in all of eternity. This is the heart of the universe, really, isn't it? And I think what he wants them to, uh, what he wants to emphasize is not simply uh, God's work uh, in saving them, but it's not them that's the focus, is it? Who's, who's the main topic of conversation in all these verses? It's Jesus, isn't it? Uh, he takes them to see this majestic plan of God, and it is all in Christ. And this informs his thoughts for the Ephesians, or this early church in, in this part of Asia. It informs his prayers, it informs his thinking, and it is the focus of what he has to say for us this morning. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And friends, as Ken pointed out to us last week, this is really what we need more than anything. We need a vision of Jesus. We need a picture of Jesus that helps us live in response, in prayer and praise, and then in helpful application. Uh, Ephesians is really put together in a, in a really helpful way. For the first three chapters of Ephesians, as we look at it, uh, Paul's painting this wonderful picture of what God has done, who He is, and who the Lord Jesus is, most importantly. And then, in the second half, he then shows us how we should live. 
And this is really a helpful, this is, this is a, a, a structure that we need to really grasp because uh, it stands, I think, opposed to much of all other religions or thinking about Christianity. In fact, most people have misunderstood Christianity uh, in the way that things are, are put in order. See, what he does, he says, God has done this first, he's chosen, he's redeemed, he's adopted, he's forgiven, therefore go and live in response. Most people, when you talk to them on the street about what Christianity is about, they say, well, it's do first and then God acts. Uh, impress God, uh, fill these requirements, fulfill these rituals. But the Apostle Paul flips it the other way around and said, the gospel is God's choosing, His predestining, He's loving us and then go and act and go and behave in this way. And friends, I hope that you can grasp this as we, we look at Ephesians here. Uh, the first three chapters in particular are just full of this wonderful theology, isn't it? It's dripping with rich, uh, the rich work of God. Here, God has worked in Christ and, and Christ is elevated uh, in a majestic way. And we'll see this a little bit further as we look at this prayer in particular. So here Paul says, in, for this reason, for the reason that, he, that, that God has worked and also for the reason of, what the, the, of how the Ephesians uh, have responded. How have they responded? Well, they've responded in, as being people uh, that have love for God's people and faith in the Lord Jesus. Love for God and faith, uh, sorry, love for God's people and faith in the Lord Jesus. And what does he do? He says he's not stopped giving thanks, remembering, in, remembering them in all his prayers and keeping asking God that the Lord Jesus, the glorious Father, may give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul's model here is a prayer of a continual and persistent prayer, isn't it? Uh, he doesn't simply say, I prayed for you once back then and therefore you've been prayed for. He says again here, he says, uh, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And verse 17, I keep asking. Uh, I, this, this challenges me because often I'm, prayer can be something that I just tick a box for. Uh, I come to it and I say, I've prayed for this thing. But Paul here is, a, is persistent and constant in his prayer. I have to ask you, again, what, um, what is your prayer life characterized by? And I think what Paul understands here is that prayer isn't simply a, a ritual that must be performed, but it is very much based on relationship. Uh, the Apostle Paul realizes that uh, being in relationship with, uh, with, with God himself means continual conversation. There was a, the famous preacher once that was asked uh, how often he prayed. I'm not sure who this famous preacher was, but he, was, he responded um, in the context of someone said, well, you are such a godly person, you must uh, be one of these people who get up at, at about 4 a.m. each morning uh, on your knees in prayer. And he said, no, I don't do that. I, I enjoy sleeping, actually. Um, but uh, getting up and praying for long hours is not what I do. But I would say that not 15 minutes go past in my day where I'm not in conversation with God and my Lord Jesus. And what I think is reflected here is, is the fact that Christianity is very much one of relationship, isn't it? Uh, where we have this privileged role where we can continue to talk and converse with our Heavenly Father. Paul the Apostle, he has, doesn't stop praying and he keeps asking. Notice the nature here in verse, verse 
16 as to what he also doesn't stop doing. He doesn't stop thanking his Lord for, these, for the work that has been done in their lives. Uh, he's full of not, not simply continual prayer, but thankful prayer. Prayer here of great gratitude. And I wonder, uh, again, as we think of our prayer lives, are we filled with gratitude for what God is doing amongst our brothers and sisters here at Stromlo? Are we full of the, the, the thankfulness for what God is doing in the broader world? Uh, how he's working in those uh, around us. Um, are we thankful that another church is meeting here at Charles Weston School and, and God is using uh, Malonglo Bible Church to reach the community here uh, in the Malonglo Valley? Are we thankful uh, for all that God's doing, uh, not just in Canberra, in the lives of individuals and other churches, but globally? Friends, are our prayers constant and full of thankfulness? Well, that's a little bit of how the form of Paul's prayers are. But he then goes on to reveal to us the content of his prayers, the what of his prayers. And as we uh, go, in, go into verse 17, let's have a look at what these are. And there's two main things. First of all, he says, uh, I'll read verse, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of revelation of wisdom and revelation, uh, that you, so that you may know him better. What does he want here? He wants these young Christians to know the Lord Jesus better, uh, to grow in their knowledge of who God is. But it's simply not just head knowledge, is it? Uh, this terminology of knowing God is very much a New Testament uh, ter terminology. Uh, it's, it's right to talk about knowing God in a relational term. It's not, uh, I just know lots about God, but I know Him very much personally. It's, it's a New T Testament concept, uh, being in relationship with God, but it's, it's a concept that goes right back even to the very first chapters of the book of Genesis. Because the understanding there of knowing is one that is deep and personal between uh, both Adam and his wife Eve. Uh, there is a physical union of knowing each other completely. And this understanding of knowing, I think the English language doesn't quite grasp this knowing, uh, here is a, a deep entwined, uh, deeply personal and intimate knowledge. A bit like only a husband and a wife can know each other, but it's even more so because we get this language of being wrapped up in Christ. Over and over again, we've already seen we are in Him. Unity with Christ is deep and relational. There is the catchphrase, isn't it, that, that Christianity is not a religion, but it's a relationship. Uh, it's a bit of, bit of a cliche, but I, I actually think there's a lot of truth to it. It's not about following a bunch of rituals or rules or traditions or uh, a bunch of being legalistically following something to the letter. No, it's about being in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so the Apostle Paul, he longs that these early Christians, that they would know him better. And friends, I, I think I need to stop there and just uh, ask you and make the appeal, is that do you know the Lord Jesus? And do you know him as your Lord and Saviour? But this is very much at the heart of the Christian message. Is he someone in which you are in a personal relationship with. For that is what is on offer. 
the Ephesians here are called, they, uh, he, uh, Paul understands that they do know him, and he longs that they may know him better. That's the first call. The second call in his prayer, or the second appeal in his prayer, is that they, well, let's read it, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope which, we has called you to, which he has called you to, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. Friends, he prays that the eyes of their hearts may be opened, that they may be enlightened to three things, that their hearts may be, the eyes of their hearts may be opened to know uh, the hope that he has called, the riches of the, their inheritance, and the power for those who believe. Three things, hope, riches, and power. When he prays this prayer, he's praying that it's not simply that they would have, again, this head knowledge, that the light bulb goes on in their mind and and they have a better um, mental understanding. Here he prays that it's not simply the eyes of their mind, but it's the eyes of their heart. And and again, we don't want to read into um, our understanding of what heart is. I mean, of course, we think, as as Westerners, think that heart is all about uh, ooey-gooey emotional stuff. But here, the understanding is this goes to the very core of their being, the very root of their personhood, that in in the depths of their being, that they would have this understanding of who God is. They would have this this enlightened understanding of this hope that he has called them to, the inheritance that they have and the power that is on offer. And friends, I reckon this is a prayer that we all need, isn't it? We need to pray that we know God better. And we also need to pray that we can have the eyes of our hearts opened so that we can know these things. There's been some of those uh, video clips of uh, people that have been able to put on um, some glasses that are uh, for those people that are colorblind. I don't know if you've seen some of those, uh, those YouTube clips. And they're just a delight to see because people who have not been, uh, and there might be a number of colorblind people here this morning, um, but these glasses that be, the people have put on, they've been able to see color for the first time. Um, it just stirs the emotion to be able to see how they've been able to um, uh, see the world so very differently. But this here is even more profound than seeing colour. I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful thing, to be seeing colour for the first time uh, in that type of way. But here, Paul's prayer is that they may know these profound truths. Uh, things that happened in the past, that they can be great, more greatly established in. Things that are happening uh, right now in the present and things for the future as well. The first one there that he calls for is that they may know the hope to which he has called them to. This morning, we've already heard about God, who is one who chooses and calls. In the kids' spot, uh, God is one who calls on the basis of grace, not, not because we deserve. But here is a calling that they, he wants them to be established in. Paul's likely writing from prison. It's likely that there are people who are questioning what's going on. And he longs for them to stand firm, doesn't he? As we get to the end of Ephesians chapter, particularly chapter, chapter 6, he calls them to stand firm. He doesn't want them to waver. One of the, the real challenges that Christians, in my experience as a pastor, often face is this, this understanding of, of assurance of salvation. Uh, people, uh, I think it's one of the biggest issues that people grapple with. Are we in fact saved? Uh, to have 
have I, will I be, um, yeah, am I in fact in a relationship with God? And Paul wants them to know this hope, hope that he has called them to, in a way that keeps them uh, stable and secure. And the terminology of hope here um, is not something of wishful thinking, isn't it? Uh, here is one of, uh, of sure security that they have been called uh, into relationship with God. Friends, I need this, this prayer for me. Uh, we need this for each other, that we may stand firm, that we will have certainty that we have been called. I love the fact, uh, I love this doctrine uh, of uh, election and of being called and chosen. It's something that I actually hold really dearly. Um, it's, it's a precious doctrine because it states that I haven't done anything to save myself. Uh, here it's just uh, very richly seen in the first chapter, first 14 verses of us being chosen and called and predestined and adopted. We're not people who have done anything to earn our salvation. It was before the beginning of time, isn't it? And Paul wants to remind them, and he wants to pray that they can have a better understanding of this calling, this precious doctrine of election, that salvation has been done 100% by God himself. Well, that's his first, first prayer, and this is a prayer that I would ask you to pray for me, and that we would pray for each other, uh, that we would have the eyes of our hearts opened, so that we would know this hope all the more clearly, the hope that he has called us to uh, in Jesus. Well, the second thing that he prays that uh, their eye, the eyes of their hearts would be open to is the riches of the inheritance, uh, this glorious inheritance. Uh, this is a prayer which I think is just immensely helpful because of the fact that we so easily get caught up in the world around us, don't we? Uh, it's so easy to get uh, our eyes to be fixed on the things of this earth, the things horizontally, the things around us, that we forget uh, all that awaits us in heaven those who believe in Jesus have been marked out, we see, uh, at the end of uh, chapter 13 and in verse 14, uh, marked out with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, promising and guaranteeing our inheritance. This is, is an inheritance, isn't it, that doesn't perish, spoil or fade. This is a sure hope. This is something that we can uh, fix our eyes on. I think it's so important to do that because uh, I think often we um, uh, get so discouraged or dis uh, di disheartened by the things of this, this broken world around us. And yet if we have our eyes fixed on what awaits us, they can lift our spirits so much. But also we can just get so seduced by the world around us. I don't know what you're thinking of at the moment. It might be uh, the latest a Samsung S8 that's coming out, or, or has it come out even? I don't know. Um, the, the latest Trek mountain bike or um, the latest uh, whatever it is, uh, you and I can get so easily seduced by the world around us. And yet here he prays that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened so that they can know the riches. It's greater than we can ever imagine of our glorious inheritance for God's people. Please pray this for me. Let's pray this for each other. We need this prayer. Well, the final thing that he prays uh, in regards to their, the eyes of their hearts being opened is that they would know the power, in verse 19, that they would know this incomparably great power for us who believe. 
And this is where he goes and he, um, he seems to just, the, the crescendo of the, um, I don't know, this, this, this song that, of prayer that he's been singing, it builds and builds and he gets to this topic of power and he uh, is so wrapped up in it, he's so excited by the power that is on offer. So he says that this incomparably great power is something that we have access to. It's uh, something that is tap, we are tapped into right at this very moment. He's already prayed that they would, uh, they would know the hope that they've been called to in the past. He's prayed that they would know the riches of the future inheritance. And now he prays about the present, this power that is on offer for all of us who believe. And friends, again, I need to be more aware of this power. Uh, we as Christians are tapped into the most powerful power source on the planet, who is the Lord Jesus. We need power, don't we, in our weakness. And so often we, see, we feel so very weak in, all aspe in, in many aspects of our lives, whether it's feeling relationally weak in, in aspects like our marriages or our parenting or other relationships. It might be in your workplace. It might be financially feeling weak, you know, just feeling uh, that you are financially out of your depth at the moment. It might just be simply uh, in your physical body, feeling as though your body is just so very weak and you need uh, God's power. Friends, this is, a, this is a prayer that I often will pray for myself uh, on my knees, thinking, saying, Lord, I need you. I need your strength and your power in my life. And friends, Paul wants us to be more clearly aware that this prayer, this power is on access for us, isn't it? It's this great power, incomparably great power, is available for us. Again, I think I struggle with this. Uh, so often, I don't know of this power that, that, that raised Christ from the dead, it says. Where is this power, Lord? And yet, it is there, available for us. And, and Paul longs and calls that our hearts may be open to this power. Please pray this for me. Let's pray this for one another. We need this prayer. But notice here that this power that's on offer isn't simply some mystical power source, is it? It's not some sort of um, energy force that we are to call upon. The Apostle Paul now says that it, this power is in the person of Jesus. In the person of Jesus. And he talks about how it's worked in Jesus and now has established Jesus as the most powerful figure in the universe. Let's read about how he concludes here and how he builds to this crescendo. Uh, verse 19, his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to, go, to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Do you grasp just how majestic this is? This is incredible here. It is the power that not simply raised Christ from the dead, but it is the power that seated him above everything, over every authority, power and dominion. It is the power that uh, every name will bow to, not simply in today's age, 
but in every age, in every age to come. He is the one that God placed everything under his feet. And he did this for us, the church, which is his body. Friends, I'd like us just to to park ourselves here just for a moment and see how incredible this power is and who Jesus is. Friends, this is my prayer for you. This uh, This is my prayer for myself that we might grasp the wonder of the the majesty and the power of the Lord Jesus and this power that is on offer for us who believe. Friends, this world distracts us so easily, doesn't it? There's so many things that we can take that can take our eyes uh, off the Lord Jesus. But I hope that as you reflect on these passages, your eyes will be again fixed afresh on the Lord Jesus himself. That as we come before him, as we long to know him better, uh, we would see the hope that he has called called us to, the riches of his inheritance and this incredibly great power that he has called us to for us who believe. I love the fact that that Paul is so Christ-focused here. I long for that for, for us as a church that as people talk about Stromlo Christian Church, that they don't talk about how impressive uh, our music is or our, our, um, our welcoming is, our morning tea, how impressive even how preaching is or our pastors are, but they would see how impressive Christ is and how majestic He is. Remember that this power is on offer for us who believe. Ultimately, this power is the work of Christ in those first that first description there uh, in Ephesians, that the power of Christ is the power to adopt us, to redeem us, to forgive us, uh, to, uh, to work in a way that lavishes His grace upon us. But this power is also on offer in our everyday, uh, day-to-day uh, challenges as well. Friends, in a moment I'm going to ask you to pray again or to think about that friend of yours and to, in your mind, actually pray for them, not just simply formulate that prayer in your mind. Now, let me say, this isn't the only model for prayer. Uh, there is lots of really helpful models of prayer uh, that uh, we are presented with in the Scriptures. We can actually do a short series on prayer later on in the year. And there's nothing wrong with praying um, specific prayers. Uh, I love the fact that the psalmist, um, Psalm 62, um, in verse 8, says, Pour out your heart before God. Uh, a similar reflection is in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we can cast all our anxieties upon the Lord. We can be uh, nitty-gritty in our prayers and specific with the, the specifics of our lives and those around us. There's nothing wrong with praying like that. But I hope this morning our eyes have been lifted a little bit higher uh, again at the Lord Jesus and that we now, as we can pray for each other, uh, we can be people who are asking these things, these, these profound things really, the profound things that, that we would know Christ better, know God better, and that we would, uh, the eyes of our heart would be opened all the more. I'm going to invite the band uh, to come back, and as they, they come forward, um, and as they're going to just be playing uh, something instrumentally, a song that we're, we'll finish with, as they play instrumentally, I'd like you to pray that prayer for that, that friend of yours. Now, I know that Joel gave, you, gave me the instructions that I should put my hands together and, and uh, close my eyes and say amen at the end. You don't have to do those things. Um, but 
let me encourage you to pray for your friend in the light of the way that Paul prays here uh, in Ephesians. Ephesians. 